What does it really take to succeed as an indie creator when it comes to modern podcast advertising, brand partnerships, and of course, sponsorships? Well, the answer might not be as pretty, as rose-tinted as you are hoping it to be. Today, I'm going to dive deep into this subject because I think it's important that we go really honest on this kind of thing. I see so many people every single day asking from the second that they launch their podcast, how do I monetize through advertising, through sponsorship? So I've brought on not an expert, the expert. It is the one and the only head of podcast partnerships at DAX, which is part of Global Just Like Captivate, Mr. Mike Wooler. Welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Hello, Mark Asquith. I'm very well, thanks. And uh, thanks for the amazing intro. I don't think I've been ever introduced as the expert, but I'll take that one. Well, I, I like to I like to just give straight talking, mate. I like to be uh, honest and open, so I figured we may as well start on the right foot and give you the intro that you deserve. Now, we are going to go quite deep into this, and for you listening out there, it is really important to understand that the job here, just like every episode that I do and just like everything that we do at Captivate, is to be honest with you, is to be straight with you. And I think it's important in 2023 and beyond to understand that diversity and monetization is key, which is why we have so many different features as part of Captivate that will help you with that diversity. Eggs in baskets and eggs in one basket is really, really dangerous for the indie creator. So we are going to go dive deep into what are and what can be quite advanced concepts for podcast advertisers and podcast creators just like you. Now, before I do that, I'm just going to give a shout out. We've got some fantastic episodes coming up. We've got the one and the only, the legend of the podcasting space who's been podcasting since before I was drinking, Mr. Dave Jackson, he's coming up over the next couple of weeks to talk about the heritage and the last 20 years of podcasting and what is next. And if you like the show, you can always chuck me a mic a quid or two and we'll split it on a London pint at mark.live slash support. So Mike, let's first and foremost, let's just talk about you for a second. Everyone does this at the end. Now, what, where can people find you? What do you do? Let's do it up front. Let's, let's, let's figure out where have you come from, mate? What do you do? What do you do at DAX? What do you do at Global? Why do we work together? What's the, what's the Mike Waller day-to-day look like? So uh, my role at uh, DAX uh, as part of Global is to look after all of our podcast partners across the business. So um, Global make lots of podcasts you may have heard of some of them uh the news agents my therapist ghosted me spencer and vogue and many many more we also represent a number of third party podcast creators uh, the likes of uh, elizabeth day's how to fail um we also look after a number of publishers like sky and itv's suites of podcasts from a monetization perspective um interestingly my background wasn't in commercial audio i was actually a bbc producer uh, for the majority of my career so until about five years ago this was all actually quite um mysterious to me so um thanks for having me on and um yeah it's i think i think my 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 sort of background hopefully um in from a more sort of content angle will be really useful for your listeners today absolutely and i I think what's really interesting as well mike is that as, as a lot of people sort of ask me, you know, what's changed now you've become part of Global as Captivate? And on the ground day to day, from a software and from a SaaS perspective, actually not that much. We do a lot more work internally with, with DAX and, and, and what we we're working on with Global Player and such. But from the outside looking in, actually not that much has changed in terms of what we do regarding product and the release schedules and the scale and quality of, of things that we release. But 
one thing that has changed that not a lot of people see that I think this will really help with as well is that Global and Dax and yourself in particular and your team work with, like you said, the publishers, the owned and operated work. But we actually, with Captivate, we work with the indie creator. So actually, when you think about Dax, you think about Global, you think about Captivate. We we run the gamut of podcasts now. Every, everything from someone starting up their podcast today, right up to the biggest shows across the globe. So actually, there aren't that many other companies that can that can boast that range, I don't think. Yeah, totally true. And and I think that that's been the interesting thing about working at Global since I joined. I mean, I've, I've been here for about a year now. Um, and I mean, yeah, you're right. It's the full spectrum from 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 those creators in even those in their bedrooms all the way up to chart topping podcasts in the UK, like some of the ones that I reeled off just there. Yeah, I love it. All right, let's get into let's get into the, the thick of it then. So podcast sponsorships. We get the question. We see it in the Facebook groups that we frequent. We see it every single time we attend a conference like the podcast show or podcast movement. We see every single day in Captivate support. You know, someone launches their podcast and they instantly say, how can I monetize? And we have options and we talk about different options with them. And I talked about that diversity a second ago, whereby, you know, you see this at the highest level as well with some of the shows that we work with, where you have a membership where you will sell bonus content, exclusive content, and you might do live shows and you might sell merchandise. So that diversity is really key. But the big thing that always comes out and it comes up really, really quickly is how do I get a brand to give me a lot of money to buy sponsorship on my podcast? Now, I'm assuming you, the listener, know because you've listened to other things and you've used Captivate, you know about pre-roll, which is ads inserted before the content, you know about mid-roll, which is ads inserted within the content and post-roll ads insert after the content. So we're not going to talk too much about the location and the, the, those that particular type of ad. Um, but I, I want to just pick your brains, Mike, on that particular thing, the sponsorship, especially from brands. To my mind, that feels like it's changed over the last few years. Like 10 years ago, there wasn't much scale. Brands were dipping their toe into any podcast because they could sponsor any podcast and the numbers were just the numbers high or low, you know, even the highest numbers weren't really that high. So what's that landscape like right now? You know, you've been doing this five, six years, you've been with global for a year. What's the landscape like when it comes to advertisers partnering with podcasts? What are they looking for? What do they need? What's that general feeling? Yeah. So I think, I think the first kind of real experience of, you know, large at scale podcast advertising that, that most people would have heard would have been when Serial launched, became a global sensation. And everyone remembers those male, MailChimp, MailKimp adverts that would be running throughout the podcast. Now, um, the, the model, the model largely in the US, the model has always been a kind of direct response model, which is use my promo code and get 15% off of x product a lot of these would be things like direct to consumer brands so you had your mattress companies you had mailchimp technically a direct to consumer brand your hello freshers of the world um and podcasts in that model are generally paid on a uh, a performance basis basically so how many conversions do you get you get paid on that basis um the model in the uk has not really ever been quite like that um a sponsorship can take many forms actually do you you know what i think it's probably worth kind of breaking down the the various types of sponsorship sponsorship can mean quite a lot of things in in this market now sponsorship 
typically is thought of as a brand coming on and being the partner for any piece of creative work. So whether that be a TV show, whether that be uh, documentaries on Channel 4, whether that be a podcast. Now, in the context of podcasting sponsorships across the industry, um, generally would be thought of as either um, a type of host read uh, a type of host read which could be you know the the, the host of the podcast um, endorsing a brand or product it could also be a headline sponsor so a brand basically takes almost ownership over the entire podcast and it could be the x podcast brought to you by x brand so um let's say walker's chris bring you uh the gary lineker football podcast um and they own that whole podcast that's a very different model to the one where we're talking about host reads inserted into a podcast so the former would be more of a brand would give you a big sum of money and they essentially own that that podcast they own all the space to advertise within that podcast for a set duration of time they might also decide to partner with some talent and create a podcast from scratch and be the sort of headline sponsor of that podcast. That's kind of technically a sponsorship, but falls kind of outside of the more common method, which would be dynamic insertion of uh, ad creative read by the host into the podcast and can be switched out regularly. So the way that works is, as you've kind of alluded to with your pre, your mid and your post role slots earlier, the host would record a sponsor message um, or a host read message, um, send that over to the brand. They'd say, great, we love it. And that would get dynamically inserted into the podcast using technology like like the one that you've described already. That's by far the more common uh, method, uh, especially within the UK. Um, now, that's great. It's amazing because what it means is you could have a sponsor for six weeks on your podcast. And when that six weeks is up, Another sponsor can come along and sponsor that exact same content. It's more efficient use of the podcast episodes that you spent so much time creating and getting out there and bringing audiences in for. Um, it also means that that very first episode that you ever created, uh, if a new brand comes on board and wants to sponsor your podcast, they hear that message in that first ever episode. Um, the downside of just saying, hey, do you want to sponsor my podcast? I'll read something within the actual audio means that once you've done that, that's in there forever. That brand has now become attached to that episode for the rest of time, as long as it's still up and available to the world. So the dynamic insertion model, which is used really, really commonly in the UK, seems to be the most efficient method. Um, it means that you can re-sponsor the same content over and over again and get the most bang for your buck. Now, it comes with a few downsides, and one of those downsides is scale. Now, most sponsorship or host read campaigns, I'm using those terms interchangeably for the purpose of this uh, this conversation, um, are sold on what is known as a CPM basis. Now, CPM stands for cost per mile, uh, mile being fancy Latin for a thousand. So essentially what a CPM is, is the cost for every thousand impressions that that message gets, aka the amount of times it's listened to. Now, um, in the UK, I'm speaking largely about the UK here, a CPM for a host read is in the 30 to 40 pound range. So for every thousand times somebody listens to that host read message, you would be paid 
around about, well, the brand would pay whoever you're working with to insert those ads around about 30 or 40 pounds. And then you would take a revenue share off that. Now the revenue shares very wildly across the market but usually sit within as a creator keeping between 50 and 70 percent of the revenue that is made from any sponsorship campaign now the reason i say there's a downside to that for especially for indie creators is that that cpm is reliant on numbers now a brand comes along and sponsors a podcast they want efficiency they want bang for their buck they want to generally reach as many people as they possibly can now the way that the industry has gone, um, and I think it's because it's actually a really manual process for for brands to to kind of sponsor podcasts because they need someone to listen to the read that you've recorded. They need to give you the AOK. They need to write the briefs. They need to go and find all the podcasts that they want to get involved with in the first place. They're looking for efficiency. So what typically happens is they'll go to the biggest podcast in the market. They know that they can reach, you know, a big audience that they know is there. They know it's engaged and they're pretty much guaranteed that if they say we're going to give you a million listens over the course of the next eight weeks, they can almost guarantee that they're going to achieve that that reach. With smaller podcasts, you know, the fluctuation in downloads means it's, you know, that gives there is a risk there for brands. Um, they might be less likely to reach the number of people that they wanted to originally reach with that campaign. And also it means that they'd need to work with far more podcasts to reach the same number of people. Now, that's the downside here, because what it means is smaller indie indie creators are less likely to benefit from host read campaigns that come from major brands. Um, That's just simply due to scale, which is why you see all the bigger podcasts generally have those big blue chip companies um, sponsoring their podcasts. Um, That's in a nutshell, what sponsorship looks like. I think I've, I've kind of addressed the pros and cons there. There are ways for smaller podcasts to get involved with brands that don't involve the kind of dynamic insertion model that don't involve having, you know, millions and millions of listeners every single year listening to the podcast. This certainly is possible, but I think the way that the industry has moved has made it more difficult for indie creators for sure. That's fantastic. And, and, and such a, such an honest open look at that. I think the, the pros and the cons are very, very important to understand because a lot of people will see, they'll see a number of things. You know, the indie creator will see, well, look, I've got a thousand downloads. Why can't I cover the cost of my hosting? And it's, it's not that clear cut. It, it potentially used to be a lot more clear cut. It did used to be a little bit more focused like that. You could approach a brand as the podcaster without the agency, without uh, any intermediary and say, look, you know, do you want to take a punt on podcast? Advertising, we saw that. We saw some some big brands get started in 2012, 2013, even before that, with with hosts just simply doing that because they had connections. Um, but it's, I think, the important thing, certainly from my side, to take away from that is that if the CPM's 40, 40 quid or 40 bucks, the brand isn't looking to spend 40, 400, four grand. They're lo- if they're advertising, they're looking to advertise. They're looking to really reach as many people as possible. So if, if we think, if we, if we think about what you, you finished up there with, you know, the, the indie creator looking to get involved with brands, how does that look? What can they do? You mentioned that there are ways that indies and smaller creators can get involved with brands. What, what does that look like in a nutshell? Yeah. So I think the, 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 the key thing there is that I think what you just said was, was really important, which was that, you know, you used to be able to just go to a brand and say, Hey, I've got this podcast that has, 
a really engaged audience. My podcast is about a really niche area. And that brand would go be like, great, well, that's exactly who we want to talk to. Um, and you could, you could do deals directly with them and they would pay over the odds because podcasting at the time was, you know, this new thing that they were really excited to get involved with. Um, what's kind of changed there is the agencies, the, the, the agencies that these brands use to do all of their media buying are now much more savvy to podcasts. So a lot of these deals go through their media agencies who are commanding big spends for big campaigns. Um, and that's why it's kind of gone from it used to be that you could just go to your contact at X brand get a get a sponsorship deal and now you know you need to be much bigger involved with a big ad network to 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 reach a lot of those campaigns now that's not to say it's impossible because creators are still doing the former method it's still totally possible if you have the right audience that fit the brief for the brand if you're a podcast about fishing and there is a brand that makes these great laws reach out to them because your audience is super engaged and that brand wants to reach that really, really niche audience that the larger podcasts probably don't reach. So there's still opportunity there. What you'll find is it's a lot harder now to work with those bigger blue chip companies that are doing huge multi-million pound advertising campaigns. But that's fine because actually if you go and work with a brand that is selling a product that is specifically for your audience and they cannot reach that audience elsewhere. They're going to be interested. If they've got budget to spend on advertising and finding new customers, um, you can certainly work your way in there. Now, not easy still. You need to know the right person. You need to know who looks after the marketing. But if we're talking about smaller online businesses, um, those details are usually available on the contact form on the bottom of their, their page. So if you think you have a unique uh, proposition to offer to a brand um, and you have a unique niche audience that they can't reach elsewhere, you know, you can still reach out to smaller, smaller indie companies. Um, so it's not to say it's impossible. And I don't want to be the, like the, the bearer of bad news, the harbinger of doom, but, um, but it is possible. Um, there are two ends of the spectrum here. And, you know, you're, if, if you're reaching a niche audience, you're not going to be that podcast that has millions of downloads and therefore has McDonald's sponsoring their new Big Tasty all over your podcast. Um, but you could still be working with smaller brands that are looking for really, really niche, specialised audiences. That's That's really important as well to understand when it comes to the pitching element of it. I, I think that if I... If I think back to a couple of people that I used to, well, I don't want to say used to work with, but I, I know of uh, probably, I'm going to say nine years ago. So they were, you know, three figure per episode downloads. And I'm not talking, you know, 999. I'm talking like 450, you know, right in the middle of the road, you know, not a huge show by any stretch, but for an indie creator out of the bedroom doing enough where there was just enough audience to start moving needles for certain companies. And they were in such a tight niche that they go out and they pitch to these, you know, manufacturers that wanted to target this really, really tight audience. They ended up building their network out uh, and, 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 and essentially, you know, having those 450 downloads each time they released an episode every single day across a different show. So they, they built a nice network out what was a real challenge for them was the pitching element of it. Like they'd got into podcasting to talk about the thing they love. They opened this small market up. They were able to make a living from it. It was enough to pay their mortgage. They enjoyed it. It was great. It was a good life. They loved it. But every year they had to pitch. They had to go back into these manufacturers and say, right, here's a podcast. Do you, are, we, are we doing it again? You, you can buy out the podcast. You can buy out the network. 
and year one, that was kind of cool. That was easy because it was a podcast. Like you said, it was cool. It was new. There was not much reporting. Like who measures this? Is it the manufacturers? It's not necessarily direct response. What the heck are we measuring? And then year two, well, you know, yeah, we'll give it another go, but we are going to really have to figure out what we're measuring. And then year three and year four, it just gets progressively more difficult. When it comes to sort of the the, the, the bigger brands, the, the 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 brands that are going through media buying agencies to actually buy across just the entire range of media, the people that are really spending money on campaigns, the people that are wanting to work with a partner like Dax, like Global, like Captivate, that pitching at that level, what's the state of that right now? Like, How does that feel after what some people are calling like the, the podcast boom, where there was a lot of, a lot of minimum revenue guarantees thrown around. There was, there was a lot of uh, money thrown by certain brands, a lot of content without that much strategy that seems to have popped just a little bit the last year. What's the state of pitching both to brands and to advertisers and to partners, but also to the content creators that might want matching. Like how, how is that right now? Cause that's fascinating to me. Yeah. So I think you, you alluded slightly to, to what's changed already, which is, I mean, one of the key things is measurement. So I think podcasts were this cool, sexy new medium that, you know, somebody very senior in marketing at all of the brands were saying, you know, it was on their lips, where's podcasts on this, 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 this advertising campaign? I want podcasts, get me podcasts, right? So what did the agencies do? What did the brands do? What did the marketing departments of these big brands do? They go and find podcasts and they start sponsoring them. Uh, they start, you know, spending money across podcasts. Brilliant. Amazing. Lots of money floods into the market. Um, what has changed is that those advertisers have become a lot more savvy and are demanding measurement. So um, what's happened in response to that is um, a number of tools for measurement have, have launched one called pod sites. There are quite a few others as well out there, um, which have found a way to, to measure the performance of a podcast campaign, mostly using pixel tracking, um, which is about, I think the best that the industry is able to do at this point in time. Um, so that's what's really changed here is it's become a real part of a marketing mix of any advertising campaign now. You know, spend that would have traditionally just been across radio or music streaming is also finding its way into podcasts and podcasts are now also getting their own budgets as part of wider advertising campaigns. But what has happened with that additional money that's fallen into the market is that advertisers want the same measurement that they can get if they were to put a spot on TV, for instance. It's really, really important to be able to measure the success of an advertising campaign. So that's the key thing that's changed on that side of things. I also think from a content perspective and from a platform perspective, we all know about the ridiculous sums of money that Joe Rogan was paid by Spotify um, to bring his podcast exclusively onto that platform. And that's also been a big, big sort of change in the industry. I've seen certainly over the last sort of 12 to 18 months, the money is still there in the market. These deals are still happening, but they are nowhere near of the scale that they were before. They're much more considered and measured and based on the reality um, of, of the value that those podcasts can bring to their respective platforms. And that's I think it's just the fact is that podcasting has grown up now. It's not, you know, 
it's not this kind of wild child renegade medium that it once was you know it's it's properly mature this is a really professional industry now so not only are the deals that are being done behind closed doors much more sensible in in the realms of you know sanity uh also advertisers are now demanding you know measure measurement which is which is the right thing you know they they need it um there are teams within agencies that are dedicated to podcast buying now that there weren't before because it's taken really, really seriously. So those are the kind of, I would say on both the content and the advertiser side, those are the main things that have really changed there. Um, as a result though, it does mean that podcasting makes its way onto many more, um, advertising campaign plans than it, than it, than it used to. And that's a great thing because it means there's more money in the market for everybody involved. I wholly agree with with that statement, and it's it's something that I'm I've been banging on about as well. I think it's articulated very well there, mate. I think that the, the the there's a lot out there where indie creators, especially like some old school indie creators that have been in this space for a long time, and think of podcasting still as their baby. You know, you get companies like Captivate coming along, and Global coming along, and and even people like Spotify coming along, and and and, and questioning how things can be done. And oftentimes they don't like that is, you know, this is not podcasting or this is not how it's been done in the past. And I think the transition over the last three to five years of podcasting as uh, an, an industry that was only an industry because there were tools that served a user base and thus the revenue was just within that, that toolkit, i.e. a creator buying something like Captivate, buying a microphone, like that was the revenue in the industry and the industry was worth whatever that revenue was. Now, because it's genuine media and, and it's, it's got, you know, we all see the Edison numbers. We all see share of year going up every year on the, on the, on the, on the, on the data sheets that we get twice a year. And now that my mum knows about podcasting, she can be targeted, you know, and I think that's the difference. It's a genuine media. And I, I, I actually welcome that measurement. It makes, makes it more difficult to sell advertising and to sell sponsorships and to sell partnerships and to do these kind of things. And to bring that back to the indie creator, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that get, get upset by that and are a little bit disconcerted by quote unquote, big money coming into podcasting. However, to me, if I'm an indie creator, it presents actually quite an interesting opportunity because, and I, I don't want this to sound patronizing or condescending to indie creators in any way, but the vast majority of creators are not yet prepared enough to get the most baseline sponsor because they've never been taught how to be. They've never, they didn't have to be prepared, but now they do. And if I can do that, let's say I do run the fishing podcast that we spoke about. And there are 10 other fishing podcasts all targeting the niche. And we all go to a manufacturer that's super, you know, super small, super tight. They just want to sell equipment to a small niche audience. If I'm the one out of the 10 podcasts that turns up and I've got the press kit, I've got the data, I can show them how I would insert the campaign dynamically to keep it fresh and how I can work with their brand as my brand, the podcast brand, which you know everyone is, I'm going to get the job. I'm going to get the sponsorship. I'm going to get the partnership. So that leads me on to the, the, the bigger question, which is what can we learn from the big leagues, if you like, and how can we transpose some of that information into helping indie creators to look better, to perform better, to be better. So when, when it comes to, to, to pitching brands, when it comes to pitching 
people that are buying media across various channels, what what do they look for? What 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 are the things that the bigger podcasts are doing and the bigger podcast brands are doing that the indie creators don't do that we can learn from? How can we be better at pitching and getting in front of the, these people and presenting ourselves? First things first, is your podcast a brand safe environment? Is it going to put their brand into disrepute if they're involved with your podcast? So is it explicit content? Uh, do you talk about things that they might not want to be associated with, right? Um, there's been a bit of it, just as an example, it's really, really difficult to monetize true crime content in the UK because brands, the, the major mainstream brands, don't really like being in, in sort of involved in podcasts that got anything to do with murder. You know, you know you're talking about somebody being violently killed and then, and now for a word from our sponsor happy time kids toys, you know, it's not going to really work, right? So that brand safety is really, really important to brands. They want to be insured and they want to be assured that, you know, their message isn't going to get lost in something that could bring them into disrepute that could be, you know, sort of controversial. That's one kind of point. Um, Because most of the larger podcasts are pitched to brands by, you know, large ad networks, professionalism is really really important here um so you know the the way that these conversations go isn't generally hey i've got a podcast do you want to come and sponsor it it's here's this amazing deck that we produced which outlines why this podcast is perfect for your campaign why it's perfect for your audience and therefore why you should spend money advertising within it so it's about having that really great collateral ready to go that you can take to a brand that shows that you've really done your work you've really done the research you've outlined who your audience are you've outlined the size of the podcast you've outlined that it's really brand safe you don't typically swear in episodes the content really aligns with their brand values um I think those are the kind of key things you can have there. You know, there are templates all over the place to, to, to pull together pitch decks. And I think having a ready to go pitch deck is probably one of the best things you could possibly do. It's the first thing that they'll ask you for. If you can have a sizzle reel, that would also be really, really useful as well. So having those assets ready to go pre-produced that you can send to that brand the second they show a tiny piece of interest rather than having to scramble around and write something on a Word document and post that over. So um, by pigeon mail. Um, so I think it's quite, quite useful to, to really invest in the sales collateral that you have for your podcast. You need to think about this as selling. You are really, you're, you're, you're going out and selling your podcast to these advertisers and opportunities. So you need to make sure your product looks really, really great. That's vital, mate. I think that the, just just the terminology alone should be enough to 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 start to get creators thinking about themselves as a product and and start to think of themselves as marketers and salespeople, um, because I think when you frame it like that, you know, if I walk onto a car lot one day, I want a new car, and the salesman brings me some paperwork and tries to get me to sign it and give me the keys, you know, you're a bit forward there, mate. That's a bit much, and a lot of people still believe that I can just email someone in the marketing department of a brand and get sponsorship just by asking, but we can't, it's a sales process. It's a marketing function. It's, it's something that this is a bit old school, but it's the, it's the, the old school thought process of, you know, you whine and you're dying and the old cliche of, you know, get out on the golf course that all of those old tropes that are very, very dated, but they exist for a reason. 
it's that same kind of vibe with podcasting. I think at any level, it's still about relationship. It's still about building through those relationships and actually delivering on the things that you promise. Because like you said, it's not the wild west of podcasting anymore. I could, I could probably have sold a couple of years of sponsorship just through being a little bit cavalier and a little bit cowboy, maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, certainly could have. You can't now. I, I completely agree with that. So let's think about renewal. Let's think about, you know, if, if regardless of scale, regardless of size, regardless of whether I'm in an indie creator or, or, or the biggest show on the planet, it's the, the first year getting people through the door to pay you some money for anything is quite tough. Theoretically, renewal should be easier, but I often find when talking to indie creators in, in particular, that the second year is more difficult because of the measurement, because of, um, well, podcast advertising didn't work because we didn't see a 200x increase in signups or in product sales or whatever that might be. What, what, are some of the, what are some of the reasons that you see at the very highest level for things not quite going to plan the second year, for people not renewing agreements and contracts? What, and what are some of the lessons that we can learn at this creator level from that? Yeah. So at the top level, I mean, the, the most common reason is, uh, that the, the measured outcomes didn't achieve what, what the campaign set out to achieve in the, in the first place. So, you know, if we say that by doing this campaign, by the end of it, we want to have, if we're talking about the direct response model that I described earlier, if that campaign's key sort of KPI or measurement is by the end of this campaign, we want 2000 new signups to our platform and they only get a hundred at the end of it that they're, they're most likely going to review whether they want to do that same deal again the following year so really i think a lesson there is about managing what is being sold to a client um obviously salespeople love to kind of amp up what they have on offer and what what they'll be able to deliver but it's ensuring that you can deliver what you've promised to a brand so one really simple kind of example of this might be if you tell a brand you've got 10,000 downloads you better have 10,000 downloads if you tell a brand you've got this really engaged audience that that really trust you make sure that they actually do because you going out there promising something and not being able to deliver on that it's probably not going to result in a renewed deal after that first year or that first six months, however long that, that, that campaign was supposed to last. So it's about managing expectations in a way while still selling what you have to offer to the market um, and ensuring that you can deliver on it, essentially. That's that's one kind of simple thing I think that, that, that you could think about. Now, there are other reasons that brands wouldn't renew a sponsorship. One of those might be that they just don't have the budget that year. It might be their focus is on a different medium that year. Um, maybe their campaign is just about brand awareness generally. So they might be spending more money on things like outdoor advertising rather than audio or podcast specifically. So it really depends on what that brand's key focus is at that particular moment, because, you know, podcasts are great at building trust with audiences. They, they're brilliant at, um, brand recognition through repetition, which is obviously a great thing. Um, but the direct, direct response model, which is far more common and when we're talking about more indie creators, you know, it's about results. They want results at the end of that campaign. So it's about ensuring you can deliver on those results as, as much as possible. Um, you know, obviously there's always going to be a pinch of salt taken on any any sort of sales pitch. You need to you need to really, really sell yourself to, to get these campaigns in. So you're not going to turn up and saying, well, you know, I think maybe we'll be able to do this. Um, 
but it's just ensuring that what you're selling matches up with the the reality and and I think that will get you a lot for, you know it'll get you a long way in terms of being able to re- renew a, a sponsorship deal in the second year or the second term um just thinking of anything else there I think that really covers it but it's it's just really about ensuring that you can provide what you've you've sold just as it would be with any other any other kind of sales, you know, if you're selling someone the new gadget that promises to change their lives, you better change their lives at the end of it. Yeah, I hear that. And it, it, I always wonder whether there's still a, a large element of, of, I don't want to say education because that does sound quite almost oversimplified, but there's, there's a gap between what certain types of sponsors and advertisers and partners believe can be achieved through a podcasting campaign as opposed to what actually can be achieved because of the different listening types within the medium. The fact that if I'm listening on my phone, it's probably in my pocket. Is direct response really going to work? We know that brand recall is really, really high. Um, you know, so it's, it's all more about a touch point more regularly than a, a right today. I'm going to just happen to land on someone that wants to sign up for a free trial to my, you know, to my, my, my kitchen ingredient box without mentioning names like hello fresh. I may as well just mention it. That would have been far easier. The the point that I'm suppose I'm getting at is that do you, do you think there's still some way to go for us to say look we are pitching a, a podcast and you have expectations from TV or from uh, online display and from digital and from outdoor and from even even direct response um, and and even sort of even the most basic like paid for search and there's still a gap do you think this this think there's still work to be done in here's what we think is the best thing for you to do and to expect when it comes to advertising on podcasts and buying this kind of media versus what you probably want to measure and what you believe you should be measuring. If, does it, is there still that little bit of a gap there? There, there? there certainly is. I think um, things have come along a long way uh, in the last few years as, as advertisers have become more sort of savvy to podcasting and and the opportunities that the medium has to offer um like i say measurement measurement is getting there and i think um what what we're measuring is most of the time if you're using these third-party measurement platforms is are people listening to your podcast and then going to click on a website somewhere so as you've just alluded to again i mean it's not the only action that somebody could take after listening to a podcast. You know, brand recognition is really important. They could go and tell their friends. Um, those things are far less easy to measure. So what advertisers are doing is lashing onto the one thing that they can measure, which is, which is conversion rate and click throughs essentially. Um, and leaning on that. So I, I suppose there is a bit of work to do around what, podcasts really can achieve outside of you know a direct response or a performance marketing metric um things like the word of mouth power you know i i'm going to give you an example with the news agents uh, global's uh, recent launch that launched back in i think august last year um there were tv shows parodying the the sponsor read that was in the podcast at the time which is the first time i'd ever actually heard that um so it just shows that that brand recall is so, so powerful. Yet there's not really a reliable way to, to, to measure that in any quantitative way, which is what brands want. They want numbers. They want to be able to deliver results. They want to be able to say that X thing improved by X percent over X, you know, period of time. So you can do that with click throughs and you can do that with, you know, 
performance marketing using those pixel tracking sort of methods, but you can't really do that for, you know, how many times do people go and parrot the sponsor read to their friends and therefore increase brand recognition? Now, obviously, you can measure brand recognition recognition generally, but it's quite difficult to do um, with regards to a specific podcast campaign that you've run. Um, so yeah, the, in short, the answer to your question is, yeah, there is a gap here. Um, and it's about educating the market. You know, the great thing is more and more research comes out all the time, suggesting how powerful podcast marketing can be. Um, you know, as, as high as 75% of people take some kind of action after li- listening to a podcast host read. Um, now that action could be anything. It could be searching in Google. It could be it could be clicking through to the website and buying a product, but it also equally could be, oh, I'm going to tell my friend about this thing that I've, I've just listened to. It sounds like a great product, you know. Um, so so we know it works. Um, unfortunately, it's quite hard to measure every single aspect of, of, of what a, a podcast host read campaign can deliver for a brand. Um, so there is a gap there, of course. Absolutely. And I think as time progresses, we just get closer and closer to the expectations technologically and, 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 and from a reporting perspective and from a, a campaign design perspective as well. So it's quite exciting, which actually leads me very nicely into the last thing I just want to ask you about, which is, in your opinion, and, 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 and as someone that works on this every day, you know, you're at the cutting edge via DAX and via Global of, of what this scene looks like. What does the next five years look like? Where, where is where is this side of podcasting going? What can we expect in your opinion? Well, I think what we've already started to see is the have kind of deciding, actually. And by the have I mean the celebrities that got bored in the lockdown and decided to launch their podcasts. Um, so the have are dwindling by by the minute i think what it has done in a great way is more mainstream talent are leaning on podcasting as a medium that is worth their time and effort um which is brilliant so we're seeing some really great household names entering the world of podcasts you know you've got hollywood a-listers now with podcasts i think that's a really good positive thing for podcasting because it means more people in the mainstream will listen to podcasts now let me tell you my 92 year old grandmother listens to podcasts had you asked me that question two years ago, and it's got nothing to do with me. I didn't tell her about it. She heard it from her friends. And it's because of the mainstream talent that are in podcasting now that are making it more accessible to wider audiences, which I think is only a good thing. What I'm glad about are the people that really couldn't care less about doing a podcast, doing it because the work had dried up during the pandemic. So the people that are moving into podcasts now are much more committed to the medium understand the medium much more um, and as a side effect are bringing new listeners into podcasting. I think that's really, really great. Um, From a commercial perspective, I think we will see more and more advertisers spending more and more money in podcasting, which is great, more money to go around more widely. I think the products and the way that uh, advertisers can can buy into podcasts will evolve. Um, You know, mostly will be technology, technologically driven um which i think is really exciting opening up more opportunities and maybe even ways for smaller podcasts to get a bigger slice of the pie going forward um we're seeing platforms offering things like open marketplaces where brands can buy smaller podcasts for as little as you know a few hundred pounds which really opens up the doors to to smaller podcasts which i think is only right and is a you know great thing and a great opportunity for brands 
as well as the creators of that content. So as the industry matures, you know, the the options and the opportunities are going to become greater. We've seen it with every single platform, you know, things like YouTube, you know, 10, well, I think 10 years ago is probably a bit too soon, but if we talk about 15 years ago, uh, nobody, nobody really cared about releasing YouTube videos. Now, every single brand, every single media creator has a YouTube channel. They have a strategy. Same with every single social platform out there. Podcasting is just going to become another one of those and another essential part of any brand's uh, mix, basically. So if you're a celebrity, having a podcast is now as important as having an Instagram account or a TikTok channel or a Facebook. I don't use Facebook anymore. Um, Twitter, Threads, Mastodon, all of those things. Um, It's another part of that mix that if you're if you're talent and if you're a public, you know, personality in any way or you're a brand or you're a content factory, whatever it might be, having a podcast is 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 just become going to become more and more essential over time. Um, but I think with that will come more money into the market, which means more money for everybody. And I think technology will help it become uh, shared more equitably across the range of different types of creators that are out there. I love it. I love it. I love it. Very, very insightful, my friend, and, and really, really appreciate that. We're going to uh, we're going to stick a pin in it because, to be completely honest, I could probably talk about this all day with you. I might get you back on for a follow up, but that has been absolutely wonderful. Now, am I right in saying that you're generally at the podcasting events in the UK? Anyone listening here can can bump into you at one of those events? Absolutely, yes. Um, I, I try to get out there as much as possible. Um, so yeah, if you if you do happen to see me anywhere, um, I keep getting asked to talk at things, which um, <laughs> it's good fun, but it takes a lot of prep work. So maybe you might see me on stage at, at one of the next uh, podcast events around the country, but I try to get out there as much as possible. So yes, if you're at any of these events and you, you happen to, to see me, please uh, come and say hi. And if you want to pick my brains on anything that I've just said, um, you are more than welcome. Thank you so much and highly recommended that you, the ever-present, ever-wonderful listener, goes ahead and does that if you do bump into Mike at one of these events. He's outstanding at what he does and always a pleasure to chat to. So until the next time, I'm going to be back with the legend that is Dave Jackson talking about the history and the heritage of this wonderful medium that we're in and what the future might hold from a creative perspective. That's coming up over the next couple of weeks. But until then, keep doing what you do. Keep sharing your voice because remember, it does matter to those that listen. Until the next time, bye-bye for now.